Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, to episode number 35 of Let's Go Racing with David Starr. Tyler Jones here with you. So glad to have you with us. Coming up on today's show, we're going to be joined by former Daytona 500 champion Derek Cope as we'll get the chance to talk about his career and also what he's up to now with Starcom Racing coming up in just a little while from right now. But before we do that, as always, let's go racing with David Starks, presented by Whataburger. Don't forget that every Whataburger is made fresh, served hot, and prepared just like you like it. Want jalapenos and cheese on that? No problem. They've got you covered. Whataburger, proud to serve it hot and fresh 24 hours a day. David, always good to hear from you, my friend. It's been a couple weeks since we last talked. You guys... Went ahead and uh, let me take the week off last week. I certainly appreciate that, but good to hear from you again, my friend. Uh, coming off a, a 22nd place finish last week. How you feeling? Man, feeling great. Just uh, uh, flew back from Nashville, not Nashville, from uh, Michigan. And instead of going back home to Dallas, Texas, I came to Charlotte here and uh, working in the shop last couple of days. But we missed you last week, Tyler, that's for sure. Dominic did a great job, and uh, we had the Godfather on with us. That was pretty cool. But uh, – but man, it was a uh, a great weekend. Our uh, our '66 Cynic Transport Toyota Super was pretty awesome uh, this weekend at the race. Had a great car. It was uh, amazing. You know, we had a couple of mistakes on pit road uh, that cost us some. I, I felt like we were a 15th, 16th place car. But man, you got to run the race and let the race play out. And uh, you know, we ended up 22nd, but uh, but felt like uh, our, we were much better in where we finished. But, man, it was a great race, and, uh, man, it was amazing. I, uh, I saw the cup race on Sunday, but, man, the fans, golly, there were the whole infield. There was It was packed, and uh, uh, there was quite a few fans there on Saturday, but Sunday's race was unbelievable to see, look up into the stands and see all the people that were there. Pretty awesome weekend, that's for sure. How about A.J. Allmendinger? He's on a bit of a run right now, isn't he? <laughs> big time, man, big time. It's good to be A.J. right now. <laughs> <laughs> no joke. Dominic Aragon of TheRacingExperts.com is here with us as well. Dom, how are we feeling? Man, feeling great. I'll tell you what, Tyler. I was talking with David after the show last week, and I was like, it's like I got trusted with the keys to the Cadillac. Don't crash and burn. <laughs> Make sure everything goes good. There were some big shoes to fill last week filling in for you, but nonetheless – a lot of fun, and we're more than happy to have you back on the show with us this week. <laughs> hey, you guys did a great job without me, and uh, as they say, the show goes on. And and uh, we're pleased to uh, be joined by Derek Cope this week. Dominic, go through the resume of Derek Cope. Tell us about uh, our next guest here. Well, a very impressive National Touring Series resume when it comes to our guest tonight. He's the 1990 Daytona 500 Series champion a two-time winner in the NASCAR Cup Series, ran a race as recent as this year's Daytona 500, and a 1994 Loudoun winner in the NASCAR Xfinity Series. He's currently in a managerial role with Starcom Racing in the NASCAR Cup Series, driven by the, the number double zero with Quinn Houth in the Cup Series. Derek, we appreciate you joining us tonight on Let's Go Racing. Well, thanks for having me. I've been looking forward to it since uh, David gave me the opportunity to come on. Oh, yeah, a lot of, a lot of fun tonight. We're going to have some good... Good conversation, good topics. David, I think you have a cool little opening question here. Man, well, Derek, man, what an honor it is, dude. You, you uh, man, before I even made it to NASCAR, I was a big Derek Cope fan. You know, I was, we were talking a little earlier, and, uh, man, that pure later number 10 car, uh, I was there at the Daytona 500 in 1990 when you, when you won that race. That was unbelievable. But as a kid growing up, you know, I was a, 
I was a Richard Petty fan, but man, it was always David Pearson and Richard Petty. And man, David Pearson was a 21 tier later Ford Mercury. And uh, man, that guy was unbelievable. And then, uh, you know, years went by, you didn't really see a lot of racing. We didn't in Texas, but uh, I didn't see the pure later car. And then later on, when I got a little bit older, you know, and, and ESPN was covering our sport and NASCAR was growing. And man, that number 10 pure later car was always on TV, you know, and I was a big Derek Coke fan, but uh, I snuck into the 1990 Daytona 500 into the garage, wasn't supposed to be in there. And uh, man, I saw everything I saw. I saw Earnhardt leading, and uh, man, I saw when he had a flat. And man, I, I have a I have a um, a scrapbook from 1990. I was at his car when he pulled into the garage and took so many pictures when he got out of his car. And uh, man, uh, I remember the celebration with you and uh, and your team, and uh, unbelievable, man. But man, you uh, you put Pierre later back on the map for a long time and did a heck of a job with it. But I wanted to. Uh, Man, and man, what an honor it is to have you on our podcast. You know, we uh, we let some fans know that you were going to join us uh, on our podcast, and man, we had we had a, a big a lot of fans that were excited about that. But I wanted to ask you, you know, we know a lot about Derek Cope, the NASCAR race car driver. You've been doing this for a long time, and uh, I want to kind of get you to take us back to the start. You know what I mean? How did you know? stock car racing you know how did that dream start where did you start was your dad was your family involved and you know was this back at home in Washington and uh, tell us a little bit about how all this started how you you know how stock car racing became stock car racing for Derek Cope well you know my father was a top fuel drag racer uh and originally from San Diego California moved to the Pacific Northwest and uh, my brother, you know, he was just getting ready to, you know, start uh, working on stock cars, driving stock cars. My dad was building engines for the West Coast Grand National cars that were coming back to Daytona and running uh, some races there. And I got hurt playing ball in college. And, you know, I started uh, working with my brother, helping him. And I drove a car and, you know, I just realized that's really what I really wanted to do. And I was, you know, afforded the opportunity. I mean, that I was able to, you know, to kind of start working on my own uh, car and, get ready to go. My dad and my uncle really taught us uh, more about how to build the engines. You know, I'd been grinding camshafts since I was 14 and wow. I'd worked in the, in the, you know, in the uh, shop and I'd, you know, run the pieces of equipment, done a lot of those things, but I got really thrown into doing the, uh, the engines and they were Fords at that time. They were the, the old Cleveland, Australian block Clevelands with boss heads on them. So I ended up starting to make my own boss for uh, cylinder heads and working on them and, and uh, running the engine dynamometer, which was a uh, heat and fruit. So I just really started serving my apprenticeship. And, you know, one thing led to another and I, uh, I got some Ford backing uh, with Campbell and Company and Ford Motor Company uh, with 7-Eleven and Chief Auto Parts. And, you know, we started running that West Coast Grand National thing and won some races. And then uh, with Ford behind me, I got a chance to run at Richmond, you know, in 1980, uh, 1984. Uh, the cup race there. And then, of course, I was running Riverside, my first cup race in 82. Uh, and, you know, things just, uh, I got fortunate, right? I had a lot of people believe in me, give me an opportunity to go back east. We made something of it. Man, I tell you, you most people at 14 years old aren't grinding in camshafts, you know what I mean? That's amazing. I mean, man, you was exposed to, uh, man, that your dad and your uncle, man, they, they must have been really, uh, really good at 
engine work and uh, that kind of stuff for, for you to learn how to grind. I still, I've been doing this a long time and I still wouldn't have a clue how you grind a camshaft, but man, that's pretty impressive. And uh, man, I had no idea early on that you had big support from 7-Eleven and, and Ford and all the different people you spoke about, man, that's, that's yeah, amazing. We were, we were the only Ford on the West Coast, uh, a guy named George Jefferson out of Natchez, Washington. We were the only Ford and uh, I was buying one race used parts from Bill Elliott or, or from Ernie Elliott and I trying to parasite knowledge. I was doing all my own cylinder head porting and, you know, flow bench work and dynamometer. So I was learning as I was going along and just, you know, trying to parasite information. And, and of course, you know, um, I was racing against Bill, you know, uh, he came to the Winston Western 500, which is the first 500 lap race at Evergreen Speedway in Monroe. And I won the race and got to know Bill and, and Ernie and uh, Dan and became friends. And the, the relationship just kind of, you know, nurtured and continued on not uh, to this day, you know. So again, you know, I was just thrusted in. My dad, you know, was about work ethic. And he right. said, you be the most, you're not the best race car driver in the world. You're never going to be, but you need to be the most well-rounded. So you need to be good in the race car and out of the race car. And you need to know, you need to know how to work on your stuff. And uh, that's that's how it all started. And really, it's, it served me well, especially now coming full circle where you're kind of out of the driver's seat and more in a overseeing a GM role. And you got to pretty much know every aspect to get the most out of uh, every area. Yeah, that's amazing. You know, to, to just listen to you speak, man, when you... When you're beating somebody like Bill Elliott and Ernie and Dan, the brother, I mean, they that was a powerhouse back in those days. And I mean, to for them to come to the West Coast and for you to beat them, man, I, I had no idea that was that. That's amazing, you know. And listen to listen to your talk about the early days and the kind of things you did, and the engines you built, and the cars you built. You know, I, I think what comes to mind is you know NASCAR in 2021. You know, I mean. You know, most drivers, you know, uh, most drivers, if they had to build an A-frame or build a transmission or, you know, most of them don't have that skill set that you had for all those years. And I, I really think the drivers, you know, the, the you know, uh, older generation and years past, the drivers that built their race cars, built their engines, built their rear ends, the ring and pinions, you know, built their brake systems. You know, I, I feel like they had a huge advantage because they understood their race car better. But, man, it's amazing uh, that you had all that experience doing that. Like you said, it's come full circle because now, you know, running a, a big operation like Starcom Racing and, uh, you know, I don't know how many employees you have. But one thing about it, they can't tell you that you don't know what you're talking about because it sounds like Derek Cope has done all, every aspect of anything that has to do with the race car. Well, you know, again, it, it comes down from, you know, I think what my father instilled in me, and that was that he wanted me to be so well-rounded and understand everything that I could. Uh, and, you know, I have my, I've had my own shock absorber companies, so, you know, I feel really well-versed in the shock absorbers, and I'm excited about this new shock absorber. It's a, it's a twin-tube, four-way adjustable, you know, type shock, and so, you know, I... I'm still very heavily involved in that, you know, and in the pull-down machine stuff. So, you know, I just, I like being involved. I like knowing what's going on. And, you know, when you're driving, I think it sometimes, you know, it, you try to do too much, right? But at the same time, I think that if you know what you're feeling, you can kind of somewhat correlate between what changes you made. You can always draw from that and know that that's what I need. I, I maybe I don't know exactly what I need, but I know when we did this, this helped right. And that's what I need. So I've always just kind of drawn from that. And uh, I've been fortunate enough that it's worked well for me. Absolutely. 
You know, Derek, one of my favorite questions to ask our guests, especially if they've been behind the wheel, and I haven't had the chance to ask you this yet, and you touched on a little bit already, but at what point or maybe at what age or what was that first moment you realized, hey, I can make a living driving stock cars? You know, I never touched a race car till I was about 20, maybe 21. Uh, really had aspirations to play baseball, but uh, I think, you know, I always – you know, we did a little drag racing you know, when we were 16, 17. You know, I always my I always knew that I loved it, you know, but when I, I physically got to drive the car, I knew then that it was something that it just struck a vein. And I, I knew that that's what I was meant to do and I wanted to do it. And I've always been a very driven person. I've never really, uh, when I put my mind to something, I try to just go all in. And I think that's the way my dad, you know, pretty much was at, at that point as well. And uh I think I knew then, you know, at 20, 21, that this is what I wanted to do. And, you know, I started in 1979, 1980. Uh, then I actually got a ride with somebody. Uh, I actually started driving for George Jefferson in 81. So I actually started getting paid in, in 82 and making money. And at that point, I just felt like that, you know, I wasn't going to be deterred. I, I wanted to be a professional race car driver. I wanted to, I wanted to make a living doing this and that uh, at all costs. Derek, that's amazing to I mean, most racers, I mean, man, we go for 12, 13, 15, you know, lots of years, just you start at the bottom, you're working your way up and, you know, and if you're very fortunate and you, you get that good break or you, you got the right person that's seen you, you know, you get that opportunity of a lifetime, you know, some people never get it, you know, and, uh, you know, we're, we're very fortunate that we did, but it's amazing to hear you talk about, you were only racing for two two years and the third year you were being paid that's that's amazing that just shows you know your talent level how good you were you know that's that's kind of unheard of in today's world of auto racing you know when you know kids start young and people start I mean you start when you're 20 21 years old and man you would have thought you would have raced for 10 years and and then somebody would have laid an eye on you but I guess when you're beating Bill Elliott at your home track up there in Washington it, it don't take long for somebody to to, to catch on to what you were doing, that's pretty special. That's pretty, that's pretty impressive. Well, I think, you know, a lot of it comes from the fact that, you know, you just, you meet the right people at the right time and their aspirations were to not stay local and travel more and the people they had weren't wanting to do that. And so, you know, again, I think a lot of it comes down to timing and I think, right. you know, the right people, the right timing, what they want, what your desires are, and they kind of like meet at the right time, you know, and, you know, you, and then you have some good fortune, you know, you're running the only Ford and, you know, Ford's trying to help you get a guy that wants to, you know, put 7-Eleven involved. And then next thing you know, you're just thrusted into a situation where you, and you have some good fortune. You win some races, uh, you know, you kind of get put in the spotlight. Fortunately, my dad had a lot of vision and said, look, you need to learn how to speak, you know? So I took speech classes and marketing courses and I'm trying to pitch sponsorship and, you know, I'm doing things for R.J. Reynolds, you know, so at that point, I was like the only guy out there doing a lot of the functions and activities and speaking engagements. And I think your notoriety, you know, becomes, you know, more extensive at that point. And it just, you know, it broadens your horizons and good things started to happen. I mean, you mentioned that one of the things I remember, I mean, I was younger back in 1989, 90, but man, you know, man, you, you. <laughs> Back then, you had a good look. I mean, you have a beautiful wife today. Back then, I remember, you know, your wife you had. Man, y'all were like a Hollywood. I mean, y'all y'all were y'all were Hollywood royalty. The way I mean, you looked like a movie star. Your wife was just, I mean, she looked like a million dollars a man, and you were you were kicking tail on the racetrack. And uh, man, I uh, 
man, I just, you know, I, I remember as a kid just sneaking into the different NASCAR races I went to. I didn't go to all of them, but I'd go to about six or seven of them to sneak in. But, man, I remember seeing Derek Cope, man. You uh, you definitely had a, you know, you had that movie star. I mean, could drive a race car, big sponsors, beautiful wife, man. Life was pretty good, you know. But I, uh, you know, I know timing's a lot of it, but I, but I also know that, man, perseverance that that desire that heart that hard work and being a great race car driver man you put all that that recipe together and it, man it's a, the the end results is very successful so that was pretty awesome man well i think at the time i want i wanted to be different and i mean i wore a suit and tie to every function uh i tried to you know create a different persona. I really wanted to be in Italian suits. I like being in suits or I like being in jeans. And I like being <laughs> that way, right? I was either a jean guy in a shirt uh, and a button down, uh, never a polo guy. I always wanted to wear an Italian suit. And, you know, once you did Letterman and the next thing you know, you got some notoriety and you're going and you're, you know, you're in, you know, LA doing functions and things. You, you just, you know, become kind of caught up in that deal, right? And you just, uh, you live that rock star life. And that's what the 90s was really all about. It really was a unique time in the sport that we'll probably never, ever see again. And uh, it was just, you know, a fantastic opportunity to be a part of it through its real heyday when you were, you know, in the in the, the throes of averaging almost 200,000 people in an event. You know, I mean, that's 30, you know, 36 weekends a year. I mean, that's that's two times a Super Bowl magnitude event, you know, 36 right. weeks a year. It was truly remarkable. remarkable. Well, with that being said, with that being said, Derek, uh, of that time of, you know, you mentioned showing up in, in suit and tie and just be ready to go and all that you had going on off the track. Were you just as busy off the track as you were on the track? How did you balance the two? Well, you know, I think what I did differently was that I really tried to become an extension of the companies that I was dealing with. And I really tried to give more of me than I really had to. Uh, my father said, you know, go far and above the call of duty. Don't ever let them come back and say, you didn't do what you said you'd do. You do more. And so I was proficient outside the car in public speaking. So I was speaking at national sales meetings. I spoke at national sales meetings for Eminem Mars, uh, Sarah Lee, I mean, uh, Wyeth Corporation. I mean, you go down the line and I had, I've done a lot of those things and I was comfortable doing it. And then I was going to like the FMI show for, uh, for RJ Reynolds and, you just become an extension of companies. And when I was with Skittles brand with Eminem Mars, I was actually going to their like their three and six month out promotions, looking at their shelf space, looking at the SKUs they had, understanding the obstacles they had, and really just trying to give it myself doing golf tournaments. I mean, I play golf, you know, on a, a golf tournament before the race on Thursdays with the media. And I mean, you're there from, you're leaving on Wednesday and you're coming home on Sunday. So it was really a very lengthy process back then. So, with that, uh, David, you and I talk all the time about where the sport is now of drivers having to bring in their own sponsorship dollars or, you know, having to, you know, go search it out and be representatives of these companies. David, I think it'd be fair to say that Derek was kind of ahead of his time. Man, no, no doubt about it. I, you know, I just, re I remember Derek just being a, a, just a great race car driver, but you know, you saw him on products, you know, he represented a lot of companies and, uh, you know, I, I, uh, I'm just trying to remember, but he was on a lot of different products and he'll tell us about which ones he was on, but man, you know, he, he was ahead of his time, you know, wearing suits and, uh, you know, doing the stuff that what he was doing back, th back then, 
a lot of the drivers, I don't think, and I asked the question to Derek, I don't think a lot of them, he was kind of setting the presence to how our sport was moving forward so fast and how big it was, but he was giving their sponsor, not only did he, did he give them TV coverage uh, during a race on Sunday, you know, he's great exposure that way and companies bringing their customers and employees, but man, Derek, well, he was well-rounded like he was, like he's telling us because man, he could go to a national convention and man, they, they'd probably be glued to Derek Coke for an hour to be able to speak as well as Derek spoke and, and look like a Hollywood movie star like he did and does, I mean, man, how, you know, it made it like, man, you know, and I wonder, Derek, why, and I wonder why you had all those great sponsors, Derek, but man, you didn't really have, I look back and a lot of the, uh, our superstars of our sport, a lot of the heroes that we read about and, you know, we idolize Derek race with them, you know, they were maybe at the end of their career, but I, I don't remember ever, ever hearing or seeing or reading that they did that kind of stuff. I think Derek and Derek, we asked the question, you were kind of ahead of your time way before, you know, when Jeff Gordon came in, we saw a lot of that from Jeff Gordon, but you was doing that way before Jeff Gordon got here. Well, you know, I think, you know, behind the scenes, maybe guys like, you know, obviously Dale Earnhardt, very involved with GM and, and doing the problems with Good Ranch and, you know, meeting with the Francis and doing things. And, you know, you, you have drivers that I think were, you know, very involved in what they were doing. Uh, and there's guys that really didn't really want to have to do it, but they still did it, right? I think what I was trying to do is I was just trying to go to a different level and I was trying to really be an extension of the company where I could speak intelligently about the brand, understand really what their obstacles were as a company. And I felt like that overall later in life when I needed more sponsorship or things did change, that I would have something to draw from. I would know, you know, what obstacles companies needed. I would understand, you know, SKUs. I understand slotting fees. I understand all the things that really become inherent problems, right, for companies, right? And uh, how do we, you know, how do we cross promote? How do we do things that are going to benefit companies? How do we barter? How do we, how do we do things, think outside the box? So I really tried to just learn. Uh, and I felt like that I would need it down the road, you know, and I think uh, certainly, um, that's, that's paid dividends to be able to stay in the sport. It's so hard to find money, especially now, uh, and to give quantifiable return on investment. Those are the things that it's difficult to do in this day and age. And television alone just isn't going to procure that. Man, you're so, you're so right about that. I, uh, you know, just all the different partners, we're just so fortunate to have who we have and the different companies we have. But, you know, I, uh, you know, for myself, I try to make sure just bringing customers and employees and having a cool looking race car on Saturday afternoon. That's awesome. And, and that's that's a big part of all of it. But, man, it's it's get going the extra mile, being going somewhere and talking to a group of a group of people, a customer or, or going to a function at the corporate office and being able to speak to to people and kind of understanding a little bit about what their challenges are and what they want to get out of the sport. But, man, you uh you're really good at it, and uh, obviously, I mean, to be to be a NASCAR race car driver for, I think, 33, 34 years, I don't know how long your career was, but, dude, I, you know, you don't see that in professional, any kind of professional sports, and uh, I think just, you know, having, uh, you know, having your dad influence you like he did in, in the work ethic and, and the values he instilled in you, you know, I, I, I'd have to say that, man, it just goes back to your upbringing and what your what your parents did for you. Uh, and that's how you got the longevity of, of racing in NASCAR as long as you did. You know, I mean, I don't 
I don't know uh, what the record books are, but you got to be one of the top three longest NASCAR drivers ever. Uh, wouldn't you say, Derek? You know, I, you know, I don't know. I've never really even paid that much attention to it. You know, I mean, I've just, um, you know, I just love the sport, you know, and then people say, you know, like, why are you still do it? And, you know, I mean, you're getting older and it's like, you know, but really I've always just felt like, you know, I enjoy it and mm -hmm. I, I have one life to live and I'm going to live it to the fullest degree of the word. Right. And I mean, I'm not going to worry about, you know, if uh, somebody doesn't really like what I'm doing or, or not, because at the end of the day, when you can't do it anymore, you know, you still wish you could. So, right. okay, and I think there's a lot of guys that quit early that I really believe are jealous and really, you know, they really wanted to be doing it longer, but just for whatever reason, chose not to or didn't, right? And for me, I don't really worry about that. I just, I want to just worry about what I wanted to do and I did it for what I, you know, I wanted my wife to enjoy, you know, what uh, I experienced, you know, we spent time in our coach and we're traveling and it's like, I just wanted every her to realize that, you know, what I, what I did do, how we did it. I didn't want her to experience it so that we could absorb everything together. And when it's all said and done and you, all you have left are the memories, you can talk about the memories, look at old ESPN races. So <laughs> oh, that's, yeah. uh, you know, that's what my wife did when she, and when she first got here, I mean, she would sit up with my kegerator that I wanted, the, you know, the Bush <laughs> and she'd have her uh, Mick Ultra in there and she's watching uh, old ESPN races and loving life. So, you know, my wife loves it as much as I do. And, you know, that's a true gift. And, you know, we're still just enjoying ourselves every week. And thanks to Starcom, you know, Mike and Matt Kohler, Bill Woolman, giving us this opportunity uh, to continue our, you know, our way to absorb the NASCAR, you know, series uh, in the manner in which we are. That's incredible. Well, there, yeah. That's so great. Episode 35 here of Let's Go Racing with David Starr. We're joined by 1990 Daytona 500 winner Derek Cope. Derek, let's go back to that day in 1990. Walk us through that last lap of that 1990 Daytona 500 victory. You know, it's um, it's like it was yesterday. You know, I mean, <laughs> it's so. I mean, it's so it makes such a major impression on you. You know, you still um, you you think back of all the things leading up to the race, and you know, all the peril we'd kind of gone through, and things that happened, and then you know. Buddy Parrott just telling you and, and just trying to drum it into your thick little brain, you know, that, hey, look, you know, um, just be there at the end. You know, we have a good enough car to win this race. You just got to take care of it. He said, we'll have a shot at the end. I said, you just pedal this thing, take care of it, and we'll be in a position to win late in the race. And that's all you can ask for, you know. And uh, he's, and, and I mean, I remember he told me, he said, I, you know, like we were out there for like happy hour and practice. He said, I want you to follow Earnhardt. I don't care if he goes to the bathroom. He said, you follow him into the bathroom. I want you to, I mean, to just chase, do everything he does, learn and just parasite as much as you can. And we're going to be there come Sunday, you know. And sure enough, you know, down to the end of the race, I pedaled the car all day, uh, kept it out of trouble, ran the top five pretty much all day, led the race, um, run second mostly, um, but always was just kind of taking care of it, just giving more than I took. And then at the end, you know, we didn't take on tires that last stop. And, you know, I'm on used tires. He's got new tires. And, you know, I had pedaled the car all day. And then the last, whatever, seven, 10 laps, I'm wide open. I'm, I'm hanging on as she's loose. I mean, the last time, if you watched any kind of video, I had told Buddy this thing's loose and we had tightened it up. And what's Buddy do? He knocks the spoiler down. And I <laughs> spoiler down on the, on the last stop, right? And I'm like, huh. 
I guess this is what I got, you know, and then, you know, I just, you know, I'm wide open. I got Terry Labonte and Bill Elliott right back there, you know, wow. and they're trying me down the back straight away. They don't got nothing for me. So I realized then that it really is Earnhardt and myself and Terry and Bill didn't really have much together for me. And I knew that. So I just concentrated on trying to get as much momentum built up, be on his back bumper, kept going the high side, thinking maybe he'd go up and I could go to the bottom for a lap and try to just pin the thing to the bottom. And that's what I did. Uh, the last lap on his bumper going in turn one, I uh, got loose, kind of chased it up the hill, lost a little bit of, you know, uh, uh, space, you know, he gapped me a little bit, but I had a big run off the high and started mounting it up. You know, I had a steam going down into turn three, and I said, I'm going to the bottom no matter what. I'm pinching this thing down. I had, you know, I had that baby to go left, and lucky I did because when we drove off in there, it was kind of that days of thunder look, you know, that slow motion <laughs> thing where his car starts to get sideways, and then I'm gaining on him, you know. Next thing I know, I said, I'm gonna, we're going we're gonna to wreck, you know. I mean, I, I was, had such a closing rate coming in there, and all of a sudden his car just wiggled, and he went right out of my sight. And I drove right by him, and I was like, man. I looked in my mirror, and I said, them guys don't have anything for me. This is mine. I said, just leave it wide open, and we got this thing. And, you know, from that point on, it was total pandemonium. You know, the, the radio's just screaming and carrying on and just uh, just an elation, you know, of, of a flooding of emotion, you know. And, uh, you know, all I could think about was my dad and, you know, what we had, been, what we had done together, you know. Man, that's so cool. To, man, man, is it gay guys? Is that cool? Man, oh, absolutely. No, I wow, that's 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 awesome. I mean, I, I got chills hearing that, Derek. Man, I, I could like picture myself in the car with you there on that last half. I can still hey, feel the I can still feel the sun on my face in Victory Lane. <laughs> that's awesome. And you can take you can put yourself back there. You know what I mean? Because I mean, it's just everything. I mean, ten years. I started nineteen eighty, really, and you know, ten years later, you won the biggest thing that can happen to you. And that's a life-changing moment. I mean, really, I mean, your life as you knew it, you know, it's changed at that point in time. And it's, you know, it's changed my life. And, um, you know, I'm just, I've been blessed, you know. Absolutely. And I have to ask you after that, did Dale come up and talk with you or even to expand on that? What was yours and Dale Earnhardt's relationship like? Uh, it was really the next race that we really, uh, you know, got an opportunity to kind of, you know, at least, you know, broach the subject, right? Um, he's walking towards me and I'm walking towards him and I just come in the garage and, you know, he don't even smile, you know, he's just coming right at you, you know what I mean? You're thinking, oh, here we go, right? You know, <laughs> he just comes up and he hits me with his shoulder, you know, and, you know, he says, congratulations, you know, and um, I told him thanks, you know, and I said, you know, I, I, uh, I really don't know what to say other than the fact that I just hope that you can win this one day because, you know, it, it really is something special to go through. And for me, it's been a life-changing experience, you know? And I said, I just, uh, I hope that it happens for you, you know? I said, you're, you're de deserving of it. And he goes, well, he said, you know what? He said, it's not the Daytona 499. He says the Daytona 500. <laughs> wow. you know, we'll win ours, you know? Yeah. And at that point, I mean, that was it. And we never spoke about it again, but it was like, you know, he had come to terms with it. And he kind of gave me my, you know, my just do. And, you know, and he, I, by saying that, I mean, that was him just saying, look, you know what, you got you to gotta run all 500 miles. And uh, you know what? It just wasn't his day. And, and he took it. I know it was tough on him, but, um, you know, I gained a lot of respect for him, the manner in which that, uh, you know, that he dealt with that. Man, Derek, just, uh, man, I, I mean, just as a, a fan of yours and a dream to be doing what we do, I, uh, man, I just growing up as a little kid, I mean, it's, 
I, I've just, man, we're just, it's an honor to have you on our podcast, but man, uh, to be a Daytona 500 winner, man, I, that's, it don't get, it don't get any bigger than that. And I can assure you if I could, everything that myself and I'm sure all the other racers out there, if we could, we, we get up any, any, everything we've ever done to be a Daytona 500 winner. I mean, there's only a select few in the world that can say that and hearing you speak about it and, you know, it's like winning the Indianapolis 500, the Daytona 500 in our sports, the Daytona 500, man. And, and if, uh, you know, again, that's just, it don't get much better than that, dude. That's, that's the biggest in our, in our industry, you know? So, uh, man, it's really cool to hear you speak about it. It's pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it really is a life, yeah. life altering moment in time. And yeah. I mean, I, I guess I am more really, I guess, relish it because there's something my dad and I really set out to do and, you know, everybody said, you'll never amount to anything, you know, and, you know, I just, you know, I said, you know what, I'm going to win Daytona. I remember going there in 83 with my crew chief, Jackie Johnson. We'd won the late model sportsman championship. We went to Daytona. We got a chance to go there because it was what we got for, for winning the championship. And I mean, he and I, he was from Campobello, South Carolina, worked for Bud Moore, Ramos, who just passed away. Yeah, I'm sad. Guy, you know, and uh, we sat there in the infield wash practice and we watched, we went to the stands and watched Kale flip that car, uh, getting the, setting the record, you know, uh, you know. The Hardy's car. Yeah, I listen to Waddell talk about, he comes in our shop and we talk about it all the time, <laughs> you know, that's where it started. And I said, Jackie, we have to come back here. And I said, I, I said, I am going to win this Daytona 500. And uh, every time I drive through that tunnel, I think of Jackie at that time we were there in 83 and, and what we accomplished and what my father and I set out to do. And, and we weren't going to be deterred. And it's uh, a lot of great fond memories of all the work and effort it took, you know, by all of us, all the people that helped me, George Jefferson, Dave Buge, you know, I mean, everybody that's put something in, Lloyd McClary doing engine, everybody. And uh, it's just been a combination of everybody believing in a common goal and, and helping get there. Yeah, That's man. incredible, David. And Derek, and, and uh, you know, your Daytona 500 win was one of the biggest upsets that we've seen in Daytona 500 history. The others that come to mind more recently, of course, you had Michael McDowell this year, Trevor Bain several years ago. How would you compare your Daytona 500 to maybe some of those others? And how happy were you for those guys to pull off something that was similar to what you did? You know, I, I'm always I'm excited for every. I wish everybody could experience Daytona <laughs> 500, really, truly, because it's so remarkable, right? And I mean, it's so. I mean, it just changes your outlook on life and everything. And uh, you know, so I know what Michael's gone through, and you know, I think if you look at your careers, right, you're always you've never been in the highest echelon of teams, right? So when you're a, you're a guy that's you know thrashing, trying to stay in good equipment, trying to so showcase your potential. Uh, you're not always in the best opportunities to do that, right? But you've always managed to win in those levels. At every level, you've managed to win. And when you see like a guy like Michael McDowell and you see a guy like David Reagan, you see the, the Trevor Baines, the people that, you know, all of a sudden they pull off, you know, those, those wins, those races. That's what restrictor plate racing, that's what Daytona and Talladega and those places are like. It, it can happen. You have to believe and when it does happen, you're so excited for them and you know what they're going through, you know what they're sensing. And then, you know, you're doing, you were doing Letterman, now you're doing something different, but you, you know what comes along with that and the media attention. And you know what, it's something that, you know, Michael and Trevor and, uh, you know, um, you know, David, they'll all remember for the rest of their lives. And it's something they always can reflect on. And when you're having a bad day, 
You just look at that ring and you go, that's a good day. Amazing. So Derek, man, that's man, um, unbelievable, man. We we all wish we had that ring. I can assure you that, man. That's uh man, that that's just that's real cool. Man, I you know, you uh man, you went on to win another race at Dover. But man, I was looking and I had no idea. But man, you uh you was a hot commodity back then. I mean, you drove for Kelly Yarbrough, you you grow you drove for Bud Moore, you drove for Bobby Allison's man, the legends and the heroes of our sport. And you know, you're talking about your crew chief, uh uh, uh um, guy, what's his name when you won the five hundred? Buddy Parrott. Uh, buddy, buddy Parrott, yeah. I mean, just man, these are legendary people in our industry, you know, and and you you know, Buddy Parrott's your crew chief. You're driving for Kel Yarbrough. You're driving for Bud Moore. Man, it's uh, unbelievable. You, know, you ever set? I mean, now that you some you finally retired from driving, I guess you you finally have after after Daytona this past year. Uh, you know, you ever sit back and just say, man, you know, it's like a lot of us racers. We race for a long time, but we we never really drive for the heroes of our industry that made our industry what it is. I mean, you just You've done so much in the sport. You ever stop, sit back, and kind of reflect on, you know, the people that you've driven for? It's amazing. You know, I, I've been afforded the opportunity to really get to know Waddell Wilson really well. You know, he, he you know, was involved with the gear stuff, and he comes in here all the time, and we would just sit in here and reflect on the old days, you know. Obviously, he was in it before I was, but when I came in here, I had such enormous respect for him, and I've been fortunate enough to become friends with Waddell, and I love the history of our sport. I've always loved, I mean, Bobby Allison helped me in 1980 when I ran, uh, I was at Portland. He actually, you know, they paid him to come out and run at Portland Speedway in my car. So I got to know Bobby and I learned a lot. So, you know, when I got back here and I started racing against all these guys, for me to be able to, you know, I had a lot of respect for the guys that had been here, you know, the Booby Harringtons, you know, I mean, the Elmo Langleys. I mean, I drove for Elmo. I mean, I spent a lot of time, you know, I mean, Jim Testa, the old days, right? And um, so I knew a lot of those guys. I got to know Banjo when I was in Hendersonville with that team of Stoke Race. I got to know Banjo Matthews and his son. I mean, wow. I've, been involved. Like, I've wow. been involved. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's amazing what I've, what I've done. I mean, you, you, the people I've met, I mean, I got to know, I mean, you go back and you look at all the guys. I mean, I mean, Hutcherson and Pagan, right? I mean, you know those guys, right? I mean, you go right down to, you know, to, you know, Holman and Moody. I mean, I didn't know a home, uh, but, you know, Moody, I got to meet him and spend time with him. Uh, you know, the David Ifs, all the guys, right? I mean, you know, and then you get to know Dale Inman and, you know, and Richard and you know, you walk through the garage. I mean, Leonard Wood, I mean, Leonard and Eddie and, and uh, Len and, uh, you know, and uh, just to get to know those guys, spend time, go to their parties. I mean, I love Leonard to death, you know, um, but yeah, when I sit in here with Waddell, we reflect on all those things. And you think back, you know, I have raced against all those guys. I mean, the Tim Richmonds, all the way back to Buddy Bakers, right? I mean, wow. all those guys. And then you drive for Bobby and you drive for Kale and you're talking about Hall of Famers, right? Guys that have made the sport what it is. And I drove for those guys, had the opportunities to do those things. And I just, I just feel like that it was a true gift at a, at a time that from 1988 you know, to whatever, 2000, I did all of that and I got to be a part of that, you know, and in, the, in pretty much its heyday. And 
man, that is, that's a, that's a true career. I mean, that is something that a life well lived. And yeah, I, I reflect on it a lot. I mean, I really, I relish those men. I, I relish those people and the relationships and all the crew chiefs I had, you know, from the Jimmy Finnegs, the Buddy Parrish, the, the Hewitts, the, the Bob Johnsons. I mean, you go right down the lines and some guys that really, you know, did a lot in the sport and, you know, um, I've been fortunate. I mean, extremely fortunate. Unbelievable. Absolutely, Derek. And you, wow. you said, I mean, I think you'd even said it in an interview earlier this year when you were getting one last chance to run the Daytona 500 this year with Rick Ware Racing. I mean, kind of just following along that race, right? And just seeing what people were talking about and, and the circumstances, right? Cutting the, the tire down on lap three when they're doing the, the three tribute almost 20 years to the day Renard had passed away. I mean, walk us through that. I mean, did, did that any like that stuff cross your mind or like, what, how did you feel about all that and how this year's 500 unfortunately ended for you? Well, you know, it was, it was, it was leading up to be a lot of fun. I mean, we built the car ourselves here. So I got to do it all myself. I got our people. We built the car from a new car complete. We did everything that I wanted to do. I sat in the car the way I wanted to sit and I fitted everything we did. I felt really good about going down there with, you know, and Rick afforded us a great opportunity to go down there. I, you know, I had uh, a good crew chief, you know, I mean, I had Pat Trison and, and I knew a lot of the guys on the team. You know, so I was comfortable, you know, going there and you know, I hadn't been in a car that, you know, for a period of time. Right. You know, but, um, you know, I got the car driving. No, I didn't drive very, very good in the, in the um, 125, but I got the car really good for the 500. And I felt really like it was going to be a good situation. But at the same time, my wife was going through a problem with her mother who was deathly ill. And we were struggling in the motor coach, calling and, and trying to, you know, whether she was going to fly out and go do that. And ultimately, you know, we have the problem in the race and, um, you know, it pretty much ends our deal there. And then her mother passes away just later during the rain delay. And so it was a flooding of different emotions, you know what I mean? So I, I, I didn't even dwell on what happened. I didn't dwell on my last race, that being it and what happened. I really was more with my wife and what had just happened there. And you know what? It was like, it was the racing and that race was just an afterthought. You know what I mean? So really um, it was just one of those ironic things that happened, right? So it just goes on and you know what? It's over, um, I put it behind you and uh, it was fun. I got the opportunity and you know that late in life to go down there and have that kind of a quality car. I felt really like we took right off and I felt like the car had speed in it. And we were gonna be, I didn't have any radio contact. That was a problem I had. Something happened to the radio, and then I blew the tire. And next thing you know, it's just unfortunate set of circumstances, right? But um, hey, um, not a lot of people get that opportunity, and uh, I felt blessed to just see you have it. And that was all. That was all from Starcom Fiber. That was all Mike and Matt Kohler and Bill Wallman wanting to give me that final opportunity. I think for me doing what I've done to get the team up and going and sacrificing and letting other guys drive the cars when I really could have had the opportunity to do that. We let Kyle Weathers and the other people drive the car and try to make the race team better. And, you know, and that was like what they gave me in return. And uh, you know what? Uh, it's been, you know, a, a gift. The whole thing has. Sure. And based on how that race ended, did they come and talk to me and say, Hey, we'll give you another shot in 22. Well, you know, we actually, they actually started to talk about it. And then it's like, you know what, we kind of got, off on different tangents, we had to go race and ride again, you know, so it's like, and I think really, I think it was, it was a letdown for them as well as me, because, you know, they couldn't be there, they wanted to be there, and it was like, it was like, everything was just kind of like, just 
taken away and it just wasn't there. And it's like, you know what? I don't think we really just didn't really have it in us to really discuss it. You know what I mean? We just kind of all sure. put it behind us and focused on Quinn and, you know, what we needed to do for him and, and moving Starcom forward. And, and really that's kind of the way we looked at it going in. And that's kind of the way we looked at it coming out of there, right? We had business to take care of and, and that's just something that happened and it was, it was over. There you have it. All right. We'll get to our uh, news and notes segment in just a moment. But just a reminder, the folks at Waterburger cook up 100% pure beef burgers 24 hours a day. You can get your burger fix anytime, day or night at Waterburger. Proud to serve it hot and fresh 24 hours a day. Dominic, let's go ahead and uh, get right after it. Uh, first off, looking back at this uh, past weekend at Michigan, 15 playoff spots locked up now. Ryan Blaney probably didn't have the best car Sunday, but he found his way into victory lane. He found his way into victory lane. He led all but eight laps, right? Just eight laps of the race, but led the most important one. Ryan Blaney picked up his sixth career NASCAR Cup Series victory. And guys, his first multi-victory season. That's kind of weird to say. that. You'd think Blaney's been up front a lot the last few years. But he finally got his first multi-win season in the Cup Series. He is now alone on 73rd all-time on the Cup Series wins list, breaking a tie with competitor Alex Bowman, among others. David, we'll start with you. What did you make of what Blaney pulled off in what was a, uh, a hectic Michigan race? It was pretty exciting from start to finish. Man, it was unbelievable. You know, it seemed like the package that the Cup cars are running at Daytona and Talladega and you know, they had at Michigan was just, it, it created great racing, you know, and I, I don't think it, if you had a drafting partner, you know, you had to really be smart about trying to pass somebody because you could go side by side with them. Next thing you know, you get, you get, uh, you know, they'd line up and hell you'd lose 10 spots, you know, but uh, one thing that, that, that rings out to me about the race Sunday was just how dominant the Chevrolet uh, cars were and Hendrick Motorsports. You looked at the, uh, Kyle Larson and the, the 48 car, the 24 car, uh, Austin Dillon, you know, the Chevys were really strong. And uh, I, I felt for Austin Dillon, by the way, yeah. that was the only thing I didn't like about Sunday's race. Absolutely. I, he had a really, uh, a really strong car. I watched him from the start and uh, you know, unfortunately I had to catch a flight and I had to leave with about 30 laps to go. But uh, man, when I, when I had just left, the Chevys were dominant. You know, they were lined up in the front. Uh, at one point, I think there were three Hendrick cars, and then there were two Gibbs cars, you know, fourth and fifth. And uh, I was noticing that it was a Hendrick Gibbs show, you know. So listening on the radio in the rent car on the way to the airport, you know, I was really, you know, I think a lot of people were surprised how strong Blaney was there at the end of the race, you know, I, don't, I, I would have never thought that a Ford would end up in victory lane, you know, because I didn't see that during the race, you know, but I, you know, Derek Cope can tell you it's, uh, you got to run 500, 400 miles, whatever it was. And, you know, you get, it's, it's a race, you know, and what happens halfway through the race or three quarters through the race doesn't matter, you know, just matters. But, you know, Ryan Blaney did a heck of a job, you know, like I think I heard one of you guys say he led the last eight or seven laps and, uh, you know, they, uh, I mean, it's hard to lead those races when you got those Chevrolets lined up behind you working together. And man, he, uh, you know, he, he did his job well. You got to block, you got to, you got to block their, uh, you know, they're, they're pushing and they're trying to get a run and you got to kind of kill that. So, man, Ryan Blaney did a heck of a job. And I want to go back and tell Derek Cope one thing now after I heard him speak. 
when Derek was running the Daytona 500, I wanted him to know, man, I was excited to have a guy like Derek Cope get back in a cup car and have the opportunity to almost, you know, to try to win, you know what I mean? And, uh, and when he crashed out on lap three, I mean, there, I know he was disappointed and his guys were disappointed, but there was a lot of people that were disappointed that, that he crashed out. Cause I wanted to see him run the race because he could have easily won the Daytona 500 again. And, and uh, my vote is I hope he tries to do it again before it's too late. You know what I mean? I love to see him back out there trying to win the Daytona. I just think it's a, it's really a good story for our sport. And I uh, just think it'd be kind of cool, you know, but, uh, but man, Sunday's race was, uh, was very interesting. It was a great race and just, uh, you know, all the people were there and just the way the race ended up, it was, it was very interesting, but a great race, no doubt about it. Derek, what'd you think of Sunday's race? You know, um, I really enjoyed the race. I've always loved Michigan. Uh, I think Michigan's one of those racetracks where it's, uh, it's, uh, it's really conducive to a guy like a restricted plate race. It's really a thinking man's place, right? And the air plays a big factor there. And I think that was indicative of what you saw with like Truex. Some minor damage, you know, on the car. And immediately he's back there with, uh, you know, with us and some other people struggling to, to, get, uh, to get back up there. It didn't take much of a problem there to be poor, but also doesn't take much to hit on a combination all of a sudden be right. And I think that's what transpired with Dylan and Blaney and those guys is they made the right choices, the right situations. And then they were very aggressive on restarts, positioning themselves, getting themselves in the right position. And then, you know, basically, you know, trying to create dirty air when they needed dirty air for the guys behind them, which made it difficult for them to get a run at them. And uh, that's what's about Michigan. I mean, there is so many places to run. You go where they're not and you try to make something happen. And uh, I've loved that place from the first time I went there. And uh, I think it's just one of those outstanding places to watch races. And I hope that we continue to go to the package like that where the racing is that great. Yeah, it was remarkable. And now, Dominic, 15 playoff spots locked up. We head to Daytona this week with one spot available. Tyler Reddick has a 25-point lead on his teammate, Austin Dillon. Tell us about the playoff picture here. I mean, look at the race, right? We've always said you throw all the names in a hat and you pick somebody out, and that is going to be your winner at Daytona and Talladega. Honestly, any of these guys can win. I believe there's still 16 drivers who are playoff eligible. If they win, they are in. They can bump one of those guys, and the RCR battle there becomes relevant unless it's one of those two that goes to victory lane. Or if we stay the same, Tyler Reddick looks like he's in a really good position there to point his way into the playoffs. Derek, let's start with you this time. What do you make of uh, the playoff picture and everything heading into uh, this uh, race here at Daytona? Yeah, it's, you know, it's ironic that, you know, if Austin Dillon, you know, I think he had a car that could uh, have been in the, ver in the very front for a really good points day. Uh, Tyler, you know, almost made a miscue trying to, to make that thing three wide and, and uh, causing grief for himself. You know, he could have, you know, mounted maybe a few more points there as well. Uh, so many things, uh, you know, I think maybe changed the complexion of that. Obviously, Blaney's big one, right? But I think, uh, you know, going into Daytona Beach, I love the fact it's going to Daytona because, you know, it leaves the element of surprise for anybody to win that race that could put themselves in the race. So it adds another element, another dimension, and uh, it puts, you know, puts Reddick on call to have a good solid effort. Uh, but you know what, at the same time, you know, late in the race, if somebody there is in a position to win that thing that, you know, would take him out of it, then he's got to push the envelope. So it does put people on notice. And I think it, uh, it just keeps you on the edge of your seat all the way to the end of the race. And uh, that's what I love about Daytona. I love about this playoff. 
David, who do you think is going to end up with that last playoff spot? Man, I love hearing Derek talk because, man, it's just uh, the 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 excitement, you know, uh, and the unknown. And, uh, you know, we were talking about the RCR guys. and uh, But, man, you know, it's uh, it'd be pretty awesome to see an underdog make the chase, you know, and, and that opportunity is there. And, uh, man, the, the element of surprise, I mean, just I, I hadn't – I've heard a lot of people – just the last couple of days since Michigan, there's a lot of talk about Sunday's race, you know, and, and I think it's just good for our sport. It's what the playoffs has done. And uh, a lot of my buddies back at home in Texas, a couple of them called me and said, man, who's going who's gonna to make the last spot? You know I mean, you're talking about guys that really don't even watch racing that much uh, that are calling me and asking me about our playoffs. You know, I thought, wait, man, did you hit your head? <laughs> you know, so – I just think it's 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 awesome. It's good for our sport, and uh, man, I, you know, it's just uh, I, I'd like to see an underdog make it. You know, It'd be kind of cool to see uh, somebody make the chase that we didn't even thought about. You know what I mean? And 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 racing at Daytona and Talladega that could happen. You know, so uh, man, it's going to be exciting. Uh, you know, uh, up until the end of that race on Sunday. So uh, you know, I I there's no way I would even guess who that's going to be the winner's going to be but I, I know there's a you know there's a lot of nervousness and a lot of anticipation and uh man it's just it's going to be great it's going to be awesome how about you Dominic how do you see this playing out does uh Tyler Reddick hold on or do we get an upset man I, I still think we're going to get that upset I feel like Matt Benedetto and the 21 car will get that 100th win for Wood Brothers Racing we know how well he drives on the super speedway races, runner up at Talladega last year before he got penalized. He's led a bunch of laps, led the most laps in the 2019 Daytona 500. There's just something about that 21 car. I feel like Matt Benedetto gets it done on Saturday night. Okay. So, how about so that? Tyler, somebody else. I mean, you know, we had that, 40, that 47 car. Remember how fast? Yeah. I mean, qualifying with, I mean, that JTG bunch and speedway wise, their stuff runs up front. And I mean, he ain't bashful. I mean, you know, he will stick it up in there, and he will, he will fight for that. And uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't put it against that group uh, being maybe a, an upset group that'd be up in the fray, you know, and if they can get it done. So there's a lot of, of teams that have the capabilities to make that happen, you know. And uh, man, I wouldn't put it past one of those guys, you know, pulling one off. Mm -hmm. And then you got to think about Denny Hamlin. I mean, he's yeah, he hasn't been a big. I mean, who would have who would have thought in 2021 up until I mean, I would have never thought that Denny Hamlin wouldn't have a victory, you know. I mean, I think he had one that got away from him at the Indianapolis Road Course. And, uh, you know, Kevin Harvick's in the chase, and I believe that I – th I don't know. I'm asking you guys a question. I think Denny's locked in. Uh, he but, is, you know, yes. You know, he Denny, over the years, you know, he's been really strong at, the, at Daytona and Talladega. So, I think he's got something to prove, even though he's well, in the chase, you know. And so, to add hey, to that – Correct me if I'm wrong on this, Dominic, but the way the points shake out, if Larson has a bad night and Hamlin's up front, Hamlin could still be the regular season champion, right? Absolutely, because the most points you can make up in a race is 59 points, and Hamlin is well within that range. I mean, just to have a good couple of stages, Larson doesn't even finish with some stage points. You're talking a really heated battle here for the regular season championship. But even more importantly, there's more playoff points at play there between first and second place. So this is beyond just the race to make the playoff here. We're still looking to crown a regular season champion and everything. I mean, there's a lot on the line for this uh, race come Saturday night. One more thing I'll bring up on this, and then we can move on. Uh, I'll start with you, Dominic. Is there a scenario you envision 
where Austin Dillon gets in on points. I know it's 25 points. Can he make up that gap without winning the race to overtake Reddick and get in? So assuming nothing happens where you don't have an underdog winner or somebody outside of that realm, it's going to take a really bad night for Tyler Tyler Reddick and a really good night for Austin Dillon to make that happen. And kind of that scenario we were just talking about, you're going to have to have somebody like Dillon score a bunch of stage points. And we know the RCR camp is going to be strong at Daytona, no question. But for that to work out and Dillon to point his way into playoffs, no new winners. And we're going to have to see somebody like Tyler Reddick have a bad night, crash out earlier, have a mechanical failure, and Austin Dillon collect a bunch of stage points. He could collect a lot of stage points in those first two stages and maybe have a good top 15 run if Reddick doesn't score any stage points and finishes below 20. Okay. So there you have it. Should be a lot of fun come uh, Saturday night for uh, one more playoff spot. Also crowning a regular season champion as well. What and, else and, we got, Dom? And real quick, Tyler, too, before we move on to the Ask David segment, I mean, looking at the entry list for this weekend, right? You got some interesting cats running this cup race. You got 40 cars on the entry list. You got the 15 of Joey Gase, the 16 of Kaz Grawl, who ran the Daytona 500. Garrett Smithley's in the 53. Landon Castle's in the 96. And, oh, hey, our colleague David Starr's driving the 66 car this weekend. <laughs> pulling double duty. David, pulling double duty. How you feeling about racing Daytona in the uh, cup car? Man, you know, this is my 24th year, and, and I got to be honest with you. Uh, you know, just listen to Derek recap that last lap at Daytona and being a Daytona 500 champion. Ever since I was three, four years old, you know, it's all about Daytona for me. You know what I mean? It's like, man, I want to run the Daytona 500. I don't want to win the Daytona. You know, it's just kind of like listening to Derek and his dad and, and when he was at Daytona back in 83. I mean, everything to me has always been about winning the Daytona 500 and I've been man I've been so blessed and in my career and 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 just way more than I deserve you know but I've never driven a cup car at Daytona ever you know and uh and uh you know uh, there's so much going on but man I, I gotta tell you guys I'm just so excited to have the opportunity to drive Carl Long's number 66 car uh in and you know at the Daytona race and in the cup race man I think it's exciting I've been working on my Daytona seat and the inside of our car, my car today. And uh, I don't know. It's just, I mean, it's special. I mean, it's got a lot of meaning to it for me, you know, it just everything for me and what I've been through and, and being a kid, you know, to finally get a chance to race in a cup race at Daytona, man, it, I, I mean, I can't tell you what it means to me. It's pretty awesome, you know, and uh, you listen to Derek talk earlier about winning the Daytona 500, you know, he, he gets it, you know, he, Derek understands it, you know, but, you know, I'm just, uh, man, I'm, I'm so honored and so excited to be honest with you. So I, I, you know, for me, I just want to be able to hang in the, in the lead draft, finish the race, not, not getting anybody's way and just, just have a great race, you know, and just see it all play out in front of me, you know, and uh, if we can just hang in there and, and do my job and, choose the right lanes and just everything works out. Maybe we'll have a great finish. I just don't want to get in the way. There's a lot at stake there, but I'm just glad to be out there racing. That's for sure. But I'm excited for you. I'm excited for you. I can't, Thanks, I'm looking forward to watching the race and keep yeah. an eye on you. I mean, I want good things for you. And it's, uh, it's great to just be in there at Daytona. And that's one thing. And I want you to have a good effort. You got good cars. They run good there. And I'm, I'm looking forward to watching you. I hope it goes well. Well, Eric, any, uh, any pointers for David? Uh, what should he do? <laughs> I don't have to give him any pointers. He knows what he's doing. He, he, knows just, he knows exactly what he's doing. He'll go out there. He'll make good decisions. And, uh, you know, um, 
he, he just goes in with no preconceived ideas. Like he's got the best, best mentality. Go in there with no preconceived ideas, see it as it unfolds and do as y'all do. And you'll make the right choices. That's, that's what it's about. Well, I appreciate that, Derek. Thank you, man. I, uh, I'm, I'm excited about the Xfinity race on, uh, you know, our Xfinity race and then yeah. man, get to race again. That's, that's awesome. You know, usually, I'm, I'm, you know, it's, it's cool just to build a race in NASCAR, the Xfinity race, but to back it up on the same weekend and, and jump in a cup car at Daytona, man, that's, I mean, that's just, I it pinch is. myself still, you know what I mean? Because that's cool yeah. stuff, you know. It and is. I think real quick, it's worth mentioning too for our listeners. I mean, we always know the Daytona 500 entry list, there's more than 40 entrants. David, you're locked into the race. You don't have to worry about qualifying. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's, that's amazing. You know what I mean? Because Derek can tell you, and, uh, you know, over the years, you know, I always pay attention to qualifying and, and, Derek can tell you how stressful that is and, and <laughs> what it means. I mean, a lot of the people that are fans that are listening to our podcast, I mean, that's one of the Cinderella stories about Daytona and the heartfelt stories. And, uh, man, it's uh, it, it's got a lot of meaning to it to race in the Daytona 500. I mean, in, in that Daytona period, you know, and, and to only be 40 cars and be locked in is pretty awesome because every year, you know, Carl Long, Timmy Hill, they're trying to make the race and, you know, if they make it, man, they just, you know, they're in tears, man. It's got that much meaning to it, you know. So for us to be able to go down there and be locked into the race, I mean, that's, that's, I mean, that's, that's really unbelievable, really. You know what I mean? Because it's so hard to make a race at Daytona. And when you have your, your, you know, usually qualifying, it's not an easy task, you know. So uh, you get to cool enjoy day. it. You get to enjoy it. You know, Absolutely. You go down there with a different mindset. You know, you get to go out there and you get to concentrate on the race itself. And it's a lot more, I mean, it's refreshing, you know, to go down and do that. I mean, back a long time ago, I mean, you, you had to make the top 14 in the qualifying races to be guaranteed in. You know, Indy, I remember going to Indy, there was 80 cars show up to qualify for the first <laughs> Indy race. I mean, wow. that's what I mean, the difference in the way things were, right? But to have the opportunity, that's what the charter system does for it. it. gives an opportunity for drivers to go, know they're in the race, and you get to go do your job. And uh, it really is a different mindset. And I'm, I'm delighted that you have the opportunity and you get to go on there and focus on doing the best that you can and uh, getting the most out of your effort. And uh, there's a lot of self-gratification in that. And uh, you'll come away with a great experience. I'm looking forward to seeing it. Absolutely. I appreciate that, Derek. Well, David, uh, I'll be rooting for you. You'll be my favorite driver. <laughs> well, I appreciate that, buddy. <laughs> yeah, same here, Dave. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I just, you know, I'm just excited for the fans, you know, I, uh, you know, I, I love to race and, and uh, man, I like to compete. And, uh, but man, there's a lot at stake, you know, it'd be kind of interesting to, you know, after the race is over with to see how it all plays out and who makes the chase and who makes it to victory lane. You know what I mean? So it's, yeah. uh, it's just going to be any, any time you race at Daytona, you know, I don't care if it's, you know, what, what year it is or just, man, Daytona is special. You know what I mean? And it is. Go there and race anything is pretty you awesome. Just, you just take it in for yourself. You know, absolutely about the chase, forget about what's going on with all that. You absorb everything there is because you know what? I did, I've been experiencing it myself. You know, it's like absorb everything there is to absorb, you know, and relish every moment. Look at the stand and, and appreciate, <laughs> right? Because I mean, it really is a true gift to go to Daytona and get to race there. Not a lot of people do. Yeah. Absolutely. Just, just be thinking about uh, uh, pretending Dominic and I were in the passenger seat, you know, in the, in the race. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> uh, before we get out of here, we'll get to our Ask David segment. But 
Uh, real quick, want to tell you about what Whataburger's got going on for breakfast. I mean, have you seen the honey butter chicken biscuit? That thing's so good. I mean, make your tongue slap your brains out, folks. <laughs> Stop by Whataburger for a hot, hearty breakfast any morning or late at night. They're serving up breakfast from 11 p.m. to 11 a.m. That's a 12-hour stretch, folks. Proud to serve it hot and fresh right 24 hours a day, Whataburger. He's teasing me, man, because I'm in North Carolina here, and there's no Whataburgers, dude. So I know. I get to go to Texas, though. I'll be at, I'll be at the one in Texas. <laughs> there you go. Damn straight. You better believe it. All right. Uh, first question. This is from Matthew on Facebook. This is for Derek. Derek, what is your best buddy parrot story? <laughs> My best buddy parrot story. Yeah. Oh, Lord. <sighs> buddy. <sighs> You know, it's hard to come up with, um, you know, something that you can really talk about. <laughs> you know, uh, he's a character. You know what I mean? Uh, you know, I you know honestly, um, I think that was the, the thing that I think I remember the most really, you know, was Buddy, you know, just talking to me at Daytona about following Earnhardt. I mean, you know, in everything we did, he was so adamant. I mean, you know, he's very animated guy, you know. And he's sitting there, and I can remember him just staring me in the face and just keeps going, won't shut up, you know. <laughs> he says, I mean, and in practice, I want you on him, you know, like stink on you know what. And he says, don't let him out of your sight, don't, and make sure you watch everything he does. And like I said, when he told me, he said, when he gets out of the car, when he comes in, you come in pit road, come in the garage. If he comes in the garage, you come in the garage. If he gets out of his car, go to the bathroom, go pee, you go follow him in there, and you go... <laughs> And that was the, I mean, the most animated I'd ever seen him because I think he really, truly knew we had the car to beat. And I mean, we passed him in happy hour. We knew we had a strong car and he was adamant. Dude, I don't, I want you to mimic everything he does. Right. And he says, we're going to get him, you know? And so I think the thing I remember the most of how his, how animated he really was. So Derek, was Earnhardt, did, did, did Earnhardt know that it's like, man, I got a shadow in <laughs> the last uh, three or four days? He must days. have. He must have because, I mean, if Buddy would have kicked my butt if I hadn't done all those things. But, I mean, every time he went out, we went out. When he was coming in, we came in. I mean, we, we just mimicked everything, and we wanted him to see us. We wanted him to see how good we were, and I think right. that's what Buddy wanted. Buddy wanted to say, hey, look, make him realize that he's got to deal with us. And I think all day long, we pedaled the car. We didn't do much, but there was times that we ran up front and we ran right there with him on old tires. And I think he knew that, you know, he had to battle us. And at the end, he had his hands full. And I think he, and uh, it was just, uh, you know, one of those things, but that's what Buddy was thinking. That's pretty awesome. <laughs> that is, that is. Uh, another question for both of you guys. This one comes from Jacob. Jacob wants to know, what is the fastest you've ever driven a race car miles per hour wise, Derek? I think 206 at Talladega is about as fast as that. That's pretty fast, Derek. Yeah. <laughs> that's pretty fast. <laughs> it it definitely, when, you, when, you're, when you're back, that's back when I first had never driven a super speedway. The, the biggest place I'd been on was Monroe, Evergreen Speedway, which is three quarters. Wow. And then I go to Talladega, you know what I mean? And you're like, I mean, and no restrictor plates, you know? And I mean, that was, that was something back then. I mean, you drove those things in the bottom and went to the top, you know, and uh, used up all the racetracks. So, yeah, I mean, it was, it was a lot. I mean, it's one thing to go 195, 197 in the draft or whatever, right? But you go to Daytona or Talladega and you go 202 and you go 204, 206, business picks up. 
that, that, that business picks up. How about hey, you, David? Well, I, I want to comment on Derek because listening to him talk about, you know, 206, you know, one of the things I love the history of our sport, when every time we go to Talladega, I go over there to the, internet, the museum there. They got a, a really cool, cool museum there at Talladega. And I remember seeing, I see it all the time. It's like they had, I don't know what year it was, but that they got the qualify, the, the qualify, the starting lineup for the Talladega 500 or whatever it is. And I don't remember what year it was, but from first to 43rd, everybody was over 200 miles an hour. And I thought that was amazing. You know what I mean? That's unbelievable. And uh, for me, I think uh, back in my truck days, uh, we, we, we lined up, there was about four of us. And uh, NASCAR, you know, they were watching us. And uh, I think we went over, they hit 201. And they came back to us and they changed the rules. We were taking, uh, we're inducting air with three, uh, with three, uh, it was a three inch, uh, I don't know, uh, hose that was connected to the front of the truck that, that connect to the front of the air cleaner. And man, our trucks were fast. And, uh, and, I, and I, I think we hit 200, 201, but man, after we did that, uh, they NASCAR came around. They were mad. Uh, they didn't want us going that fast. The next thing you know, the next day, we, we only had one hose on the truck. You know, they took both one of the hoses off of the, the inducting the air into the air cleaner, and it slowed us down. But I, myself, it's about 200, 201 myself, as fast as I've ever been in a race car. Okay. Um, you know, I, I can't say I've driven a race car, Dominic, but uh, I have uh, I have driven a Kia at about 110 miles an hour. Don't tell my mom that, though. I won't say. I won't say. I've driven a race car at the local track for about 50 miles an hour, a little third-mile dirt track here in Grants, New Mexico. But you know, I've driven a Ford F-150 on an undisclosed road at an undisclosed location at about 120 miles an hour. Yeah. So, Tyler, you, you drew, you've driven a you driven a Kia for, uh, for what'd you say? Did you say a Prius or a Kia, Tyler? A Kia. It was a Kia okay. Forte. I got up to about 110 on the highway. Yeah. That's awesome, dude. I would have asked you to pull over and let me out before you started doing that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you would you would have had a good time. I gotta tell you, just as a media member, one of my favorite things from you guys, the drivers, is when we get to do the pace car rides with the driver, um, you know, on a race day, like I've done it with Eric Jones and uh, done it with David Reagan and such. And to hear from you guys, your perspective, walking us through in the pace car, like I, I, Dominic's done this before too, going over a hundred miles now. I know it's not the same as the stock car, but uh, I mean, that to me is one of my favorite experiences when I, when I do a race uh, weekend, uh, David. Well, now it's kind of cool to hear you talk, speak about that. Cause you know, my, my uncle Mike, we own the NASCAR racing school, Team Texas High Performance Driving School there at Texas Motor Speedway. And, you know, when I have some sponsors come in town or I'm, I'm courting some new companies and they'll come and meet with me at the speedway and I'll put them in our, our 15 passenger van and give them right around the racetrack. And, you know, I'm just talking to them, but it's, you know, for Derek and myself, I mean, 110, 105, it's, it's no big deal, you know, you don't realize it, but those guys are sitting in the back and the G-forces of that van you know, we know it's fine. And, uh, you know, later on, you know, later on when you're eating lunch or you're sitting down visiting, I mean, they, you just gave them one hell of an experience and you didn't even realize it, you know, cause I'm just talking, I'm looking back at them, but man, I, I you know, I love it when, uh, you know, and Derek probably has stories after stories, uh, when you, when you, when you take the race fans or somebody that's not even a big fan of our sport 
you put them in a passenger seat of a regular car, or put them in a van and give them a ride around any NASCAR track, the different perspective and to, to hear to hear them uh, tell that story later on, you know, it's pretty cool for uh, somebody that's not a race car driver and somebody that's not really a fan. It, it, it hooks them like a big old shark, man. It brings them in, sucks them in, and they love it, you know. What about you, Derek? Have you ever done that? Well, we did it. Actually, we did it in Texas. Rick Ware did our promotion, and I went down there with my nieces, and we took people at, at your guys at your driving school down right. there. Right. And we drove those cars down there, took people around there. I even took Rick's wife, Lisa, around, and uh, <laughs> we, had a, we had a ball. And, uh, yeah, I mean, just to see the faces, their expressions, and, you know, you know the emotion out of them after they've gone around a racetrack like and you've gone you know relatively decent speed right and gone through the banking the way that truly get a real appreciation for what it's like you know and uh that i think that's uh something that i've always relished is trying to give a people a conception of what it's like whether you give them a ride or you can convey to them what you're going through um that really is a unique thing that we've been able to do uh you know over the years it really is. It gives them a, it gives them a different perspective, you know, and, yes. and, and just listening to you talk, Derek, it brings up the point, you know, every once in a while I hear, you know, you guys, are you athletes or not? And man, you know, just, you know, I'm not always at our racing school when, when we're having uh, schools for the public or we have corporate events uh, because we're traveling and we're doing stuff for our sponsors. We're racing. But when I am there and people get out of the race cars, I said, man, man, how do you guys do that for 300 miles? How do you do it for 500 miles? I, I, I did it for 10 laps and I got so confused and, and I didn't even know what corner I was in. And they said, man, that is, they get a different perspective, you know? And man, they're sweating. They said, man, you know, how can you do that for four hours at almost 200 miles an hour with everybody else? You, I mean, you know, it's just, I love it, the perspective. And when they finally drive a race car, get a race car ride, they get it. They understand it. It's, you know, it's, it's not easy. It's a gift and uh, you know, and uh, it's, it's not easy and you got to be one heck of an athlete to do it, you know, because I mean, you, the elements we race in the concentration level and, and you're wrestling these 3,400 pound race cars sometimes, a lot of times they're not handling that good and you got to, you're wrestling them. I mean, it's, it's, it's not easy, you know, and yeah. I love to hear people's perspective. It's pretty cool. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, certainly so. Guys, uh, before we go, let's go around the room real quick. Uh, Derek, uh, we appreciate you joining us, man. What do you got going on just these next few days, and where can people follow you and see all that's going on with you and StarCom? Well, we're just uh, preparing for Daytona. Obviously, our car is on the uh, uh, the plate right now. Finishing touches will pull down tomorrow, and then it's ready to load. So uh, right now, uh, we're in really good shape for Daytona, and same thing for our Darlington car, and uh, we're, we're pretty much on tap for the next few weeks to be really prepared, and uh, we're just trying to get ourselves, and we got the, we got the next-gen car sitting out here. Um, we, got a, we got all the suspension on it, shocks, bumpers. We got, uh, we're working, ready to put an engine in it uh, tomorrow, and uh, we're, we're gearing up for the test in October. So we got a lot going on, and uh, everybody's excited about it. We're just keeping uh, week on, week on every week. We're doing something different. That's great. David, tell me about the next few days as you get ready for Daytona here. Man, just working in the shop, uh, you know, our Xfinity car is uh, is ready. It's going to the chassis dyno tomorrow. And uh, uh, the cup car, they're, uh, I think they're taking over to uh, NASCAR Tech to make sure it gets through, you know, the Hawkeye, make sure the body's all perfect on it. And uh, 
you know, I'm just going to spend another day here working with the guys and making sure that everything that I control, the inside of the race car, my seats and my steering wheel, everything's where I need it to be. And, uh, and then I'll be heading to Daytona uh, tomorrow night. And, uh, man, just uh, excited uh, for the, 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 the race weekend this weekend. It's going to be a lot of excitement. And uh, so, yeah, man, just uh, enjoying myself, working at the race shop. I mean, Derek can tell you, just, you know, as a race car driver today, I spend so much of my time working on the sponsorship side. Uh, before that, before we even had to bring sponsors, we were just race car drivers. You know, I could, I could come to Charlotte, work in the shop for a week or two, and then go back home to Texas. But you know, but now our jobs is the sport has changed, and now we spend a lot, so much time taking care of our sponsors, doing sponsor commitments, meet with companies, speaking engagements. I mean, it's just on and on and on. And uh, so it's been kind of fun to be here at the shop working with my guys and seeing the, their hard work and uh, Derek can tell you, man, it's all about the, our team. These guys that put these race cars together, the crew chiefs, you know, all the guys that put their heart and soul in making these race cars run like they run, man. It's uh, it's not an easy life. They spend a lot of time away from their families at the shop and uh, man, to come here and spend some time with them, talk to them, take them to lunch. It's pretty cool stuff, man. That's great. Dominic, what's happening at the racing experts this week? And we'll just continue to cover the sport and the daily news. I got to shout out our Jonathan Field. It's always, man, he's been stepping it up a lot with our coverage the last few weeks. So the two of us and the rest of our staff will continue to cover the sport and keep doing our freelance with ESPN Radio Albuquerque. And we'll just keep plugging at it, man. It's going to be a fun race weekend to cover. We're going to go into an editorial meeting on Friday and kind of determine what we're doing. That's found. That sounds great. Uh, happy for you guys. Derek, we appreciate you joining us, man. You're welcome back anytime. And Best of luck to you and the uh, Starcom team going forward. We'll certainly be uh, rooting you guys on and uh, rooting on David this weekend as well at Daytona pulling double duty in the Xfinity Series and the Cup Series. We will have to put the checkered flag out on this episode of Let's Go Racing with David Starr. As always, you can follow us on Twitter at Star Podcast, Facebook.com forward slash David Star Podcast, and by email, David Star Podcast at gmail.com. And make sure to subscribe to the show on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, also on YouTube. Make sure to hit the like button and uh, leave us a five-star review or don't leave us one at all. And we'll see you right back here next week. For Derek Cope, David Starr, Dominic Oregon, I'm Clyde Edward Jones. Sing so long. This has been another edition of Let's Go Racing. We'll see you next week.